Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Kindled. Very happy to be back with you guys and I'm excited for the conversation that I have for you today. I got to talk with Rachel Ridgway, who recently became the mom to two little twins that she, uh, well, you'll actually, I'm not even going to tell you, you're going to hear the whole story in our interview, but we get into a very uh, complex and a really controversial conversation, to be honest, about IVF and the moral and ethical dilemmas surrounding it. I think you're going to learn from this conversation. I think you might even be challenged. You may disagree with some of the things we say, but I hope you'll listen and hear the heart behind the concerns that Rachel brings up. And you know, I think these are conversations that Christians have got to be having out in the open. We've got to be willing to evaluate and maybe even reevaluate things that we previously thought were okay or fine um, based on what we are learning and 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 how we might have misunderstood things. I, I know that I've had to do that on this topic, and you'll hear that in this conversation. And so anyways, it was a very fascinating and encouraging conversation for me, and I pray that it will be for you too. Before I get into that, I want to let you know about our sponsors for today. They are Sue Yunt with Plexus, So Simple Sight Words, and Cornerstone Curriculum. You'll be hearing about them a little bit later on. The last note is that if you have not joined us inside Firestarters, you can always do so. You will actually get instant access to all previous episodes immediately. It's $10 a month. You can join at kindledpodcast.locals.com. Com. A new episode comes out every weekend, and this is where I cover typically more down-to-the-minute news. It's just me and the mic. It's one-on-one. It's a little bit like an Instagram rant on steroids because I have 30 minutes or less to discuss a topic of my choosing. So it's often related to what I'm covering on Instagram, um, which is you know my favorite place to hang out other than on this podcast. And so it's really a deep dive into whatever topics happening there that I need to unpack further or, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's not related, but it's always good. It's always going to present a biblical worldview of the topic that we address, uh, be so encouraging, so relevant to your life, uh, whether it be theological, cultural, relational, social topics, it's always a good time over there. So join us for $10 a month at kindledpodcast.locals.com. If you want more than you're getting on this podcast, Kindled, which is free, you can join us as a subscriber inside Firestarters and get a new episode every single week. Okay, that's all I have. So here is my conversation with Rachel Ridgway. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me on. So uh, could you tell listeners who you are and uh, a little bit about why you're here today? Why, who are you and, and why are you on Kindled? Yeah, so uh, my name is Rachel Ridgway and I'm on Kindled because uh, my husband and I most recently got some publicity because our youngest two children, Lydia and Timothy, uh, hit the record for the world's longest recorded embryos to come to birth. So they were frozen for 30 years, a little less than that, about 29 months, 10 days, but Hey, 30 sounds like a better number. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we adopted them and they transferred them to me and they came to birth on October 31st. And so that gave us a little bit of a little bit of a publicity buzz because of the fact that they, as far as we know, hold that record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw this story come out and I was just amazed, first of all, that I even um, 
even that, like that was even possible scientifically to freeze embryos that long ago. Like it doesn't even seem, I don't know when that technology became available, but I was like, wow, that's, we're already there where you've had frozen embryos for 30 plus years, you know? Yeah. 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 No, as far as I know, I think the technology was started in 1978, but then freezing wasn't really available until 1984. So they are among the, definitely some of the oldest ones that we know of and there could be older, but we don't know. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you guys, and, and this is embryo adoption, right? That's kind of the technical term. So technical term would be embryo donation. Donation, uh, okay. Yeah, you'll see on a lot of secular websites, uh, they'll talk about about embryo donation versus adoption. Okay. And then what it comes down to is really your, your worldview and how you view embryos. Do you view them as the human beings that they are? Or do you view mm-hmm. them more as a commodity to be donated, like you would donate mm-hmm. your stuff to Goodwill? Mm. Right, yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah. So how did you guys even get the publicity around this? Like, how did that news break? Um, I mean, how did anyone find out about it? Yeah. So we went through an organization called National Embryo Donation Center and their public relations employee, uh, Mark Mellinger, is the one who approached us probably back in May with the fact that these guys, as far as we know, would be the oldest embryos to come to birth. And so would we be interested in doing some publicity to help get the word out about who they are as an organization, but then also about embryo adoption in general and how we can help uh, make this more aware for people who, as a lot of people just don't know about it Mm -hmm. or have never heard of it. And so to be able to get the word out about uh, embryo adoption. And so my husband and I agreed to that. The other part is we're both evangelical Christians. We believe in the Bible and what it has to say about life. And so we Mm -hmm. wanted the opportunity to not only share about embryo adoption, but about the fact that these children are children, they're frozen, they're in need of help. And then also to spread the gospel, to teach about what God has done through adoption with us and Mm -hmm. and my husband and I in, in taking those who don't deserve life. And instead he's given us everlasting life through his son and, and be able to share that message with others. Yeah, I love that. I love how you've really utilized this opportunity to share, you know, the gospel and share what you believe in your, um, you know, where your hope is. Um, and it's, I think it is uh, obviously something that makes people kind of raise their eyebrows and go, wow, like, why would you wait, hold on a second, you have biological children, right? You have four other children, um, which you can share their, their age range here if you want, but you have four other biological children, and then chose to um, adopt embryos and implant those. Um, and so I think that that, that is cause for some questions probably that people go, wait, why would you do that? Oh, absolutely. I've totally got that, that question of why, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I have four kids uh, starting at age eight, eight, six, three, and my, my young, well, not my youngest now, my fourth will be two on uh, tomorrow. And then I have Lydia and Timothy. And so, yes, at the time we had four biological children. And actually, in fact, when we started this process, we only had three. And in the beginnings of uh, doing the home study, we found out that I was pregnant with my fourth. So we had to put things on hold for a while and then come back to it. But uh, why did we do this? Well, we have always loved adoption because of the fact that 
adoption is how God chose to create his family. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a book called A Hope Deferred by Stephen. I'm going to butcher his last name. I believe it was Stephen Ewell. And he talks about how adoption was God's pl- first plan. It was never a plan B. A lot of people view adoption as a plan B. And so he shows how in scripture, God shows us that adoption was his plan from the, from before the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so he talks about that in depth. And I love that, that view of we, we need to look at adoption as something that's beautiful and wonderful and not day. Well, I can't have kids. So now I'm going to choose adoption. No, anyone can choose adoption and we should want to model our heavenly father for those who are Mm -hmm. believers that adoption is a beautiful thing. And that that's how he chose to bring sinners into his family. And how much more can I share that love for others by adopting children that are really in need, in need of a mother and father and be able to help raise them and, and give them that family. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I and I think that's that's I love how you put that adoption was not plan B, which I think um is absolutely totally a um just a cultural concept today that you know you, people turn to adoption when they can't have biological children of their own and you know there's nothing wrong with that, but it is not primarily like this second rate way to build a family. Um, and we can see that modeled in how God chose to build his. So I I really love that tie in there. Um, so let's talk for a second about the, you know, the reality of, of how you were able to do this is, um, all these couples who do IVF, which is in vitro Mm -hmm. fertilization and, um, create, uh, human beings through this process. And, you know, I realize this is a controversial topic, even amongst Christians, whether or not IVF is kind of ethically uh, something that Christians can participate in or not. But I would love to hear your perspective on this, because obviously you and I both agree that these are human beings that are created through this process, this scientific process to to seek to help couples that are struggling to conceive have babies, which let's just say up front is, is heartbreaking that we live in a, a, you know, a sinful, broken world where people do struggle with infertility. And so, but let's talk about that process of IVF and, and how to think about that from kind of a biblical worldview. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it is one of those things where the, the realities of infertility and anyone who struggles with that, you start to realize how many people out there really do struggle with it. Um, you know, it's kind of that hidden, almost taboo topic and, which is unfortunate because it is something that, especially as believers, we should be able to come around and really help our, our fellow brothers and sisters who are struggling in this area to learn to trust the Lord and his planning and his sovereignty. And so that's, that's a really big deal. Uh, having struggled a little bit myself, my husband and I never had to do IVF or anything like that, but going into marriage and getting married and then struggling at first to conceive and having to get some extra help and take the right dose of medication to conceive three out of our four or three of our six kids. Um, you know, I understand that, that difficulty there and the pain that goes along with infertility. And so, yeah, there it's, it's a tragedy. It's, it's the sin in this world that couples who, mm-hmm. you know, especially believing couples who desperately want to have kids in order to, you know, share the love of Christ and just do what we've commanded to do, which is to, you know, go and fill the earth. And, uh, so yeah, so there's that reality there of that pain. And then IVF is one of those things where in vitro fertilization is a medical technology. It's something that is 
in and of itself is not evil. It has to do with how we choose to use it. And unfortunately, the traditional IVF process, which is essentially to make as many embryos as you possibly can in a cycle in order to maximize essentially the cash you're using, right? It's a very expensive process. Um, people pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, usually, you know, in the 20,000 plus range to do in vitro fertilization. And so if you're going to go through all that time, energy, work, pain in order to do this, the fertility specialist is going to tell you, well, let's maximize this time, right? Let's mm -hmm. get as many embryos as we can, because we don't want to have to go back. We don't have to go back and get more eggs. You know, we don't want to have to do all that. Let's, let's make this worth our while. And the downside of that is that these fertility specialists, most of them are not looking at these children as children. They're not looking at embryos as children. And so the idea for them of creating and then freezing children is not a problem. And that's because we've, we've dehumanized them. And mm -hmm. it's very clear in scripture that life starts at conception. You know, Christ was an embryo. And so we have all been embryos at one point or another. And so we need to recognize the humanity of these embryos and that they're children. And that's mm -hmm. really the downside of man's use of IVF is that it's taken the humanity out of it. And it's mm -hmm. been more of a commodity now that yeah. parents go into this. And I truly believe that most people, most couples going to this have no idea what they're doing. No. They have no idea about the the consequences <laughs> of it. They have no idea about the difficulties of just IVF in general. I mean, the process of egg collection is extremely difficult and extremely painful. And most women are just so desperate to have kids mm -hmm. that they go into this, all right, whatever the doctor says, I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And so you have that difficulty of people who really, truly, I don't think understand this mm -hmm. process who don't understand the implications of it. And then they end up where they have 14 embryos frozen and they don't know what to do with them because yeah. they never intended to have 14 children. They just want right. to have one. That's all they wanted to do was just have yeah. one kid. I want to tell you about our first sponsor for today. And that is Sue Yount with Plexus. Now Sue's company Plexus focuses on gut health and gut support. They have all kinds of supplements to help you with that. Recently, my husband actually had a health scare related to his gut. He had acute colon inflammation, which resulted in a very expensive ambulance ride, some time in the ER, and then a lot of follow-up tests and kind of investigative stuff with specialists to see what was going on. And ultimately where we landed is thankfully he is okay but he does have to be more intentional about making sure he's maintaining a healthy gut and his you know, intestinal tract, which are words I don't often use on this podcast. But all of that to say, my family has been very focused on making sure that we are getting the supplements that we need that assist us in maintaining a healthy gut. And Plexus has just the products to help us do that. So I am um, a, a consumer, a purchaser myself of these products. I would not tell you about them unless I use them myself and actually felt like they were helping me. Um, I love the fizzy sticks from Plexus that I get. I love that my girls have the kids version of the microbiome because I know their diets are probably deficient in a lot of those good bacteria that they need to help them fight off whatever sicknesses are getting passed around this year. I just appreciate that there's a company that I can trust and rely on and know that it is going to give my family's health that little boost it needs, especially in these winter months. So I encourage you to check out Sue's custom link at 
bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. That's bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. She's giving Kindle listeners 10% off their welcome pack orders plus a free Plexus branded shaker bottle with a purchase of $50 or more. So check out bit.ly and that's bit.ly slash healthy with Sue. Yeah, that's that's very true. I think that's an important point to make that, um, you know, in having this conversation about the ethical implications of IVF, we're not saying that everyone who's done IVF or, or had that procedure um, in order to seek to to start a family or to have a child is is necessarily seeking to devalue life. Like it is really that I think so many of us um, never had to never had to ask these questions until more recently. There, these conversations weren't even really in the public sphere. Like I mean, I've been a believer my whole life, and I when I learned what IVF was probably sometime in high school, I, it didn't even cross my mind that how this process worked would potentially create a life that would never get to actually come to full fruition, you know? And so even though I was pro-life, I didn't think there was anything wrong with IBF. I mean, probably until the last five years when I actually started to think about and, and or had friends who had done IVF and were like, well, we have this one egg left and we want to use it because it's it's not right to leave it there. Like that's one of our children. We, we have to, we, we don't even feel like we want more kids, but we are going to implant this egg because it's been fertilized. It's a, it's a human, it's ours and let God decide what, what comes of that and what happens. And, uh, and, and so as I started to see people have those conversations, like when I came to the age where I had, you know, really peers that were dealing with this topic, um, then I, it's kind of like you realize the holes in your own thinking. You realize that, oh, I guess I hadn't really thought that through or had not realized that the implications of this procedure do necessarily create humans that basically are, are kind of implicitly devalued by in this process because they, because it's not guaranteed that they will ever be able to be born and be able to, you know, experience, um, gestation the way that other eggs that are fertilized naturally are. And so, you know, I think that it's an important conversation for us to have as Christians because, um, you know, we don't want to be we don't want to be hypocritical. We don't want to say, "Oh, yeah, life begins at conception," and so therefore abortion is wrong from the get go. And yet, at the same time, be creating lives that we don't intend to actually um, implant and allow to grow. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I I'm an RN by training mm-hmm. and I have volunteered with pregnancy resource centers for the past eight years. And part of my development of my view of, of IVF has really come from what you're talking about, which is if we value life as pro-lifers, as life starts at conception, then we have to view all life as what it is, as, mm-hmm. as human beings and as, and as the life that God created. And the reality is, is that these embryos are only created because God wants them to be there, right? I mean, you can put any, you can put an egg in a sperm in a petri dish, and nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. It's all about God's will. It's His desire that these children were to come to be, and and it's the same with you know when you transfer these embryos from their petri dish to a woman's womb, the implantation process that is truly a God des- God decides that. You know, these um, fertility specialists do everything they can to make the uterus most habitable for these embryos to implant, but they have no control over implantation. All they can do is transfer them, move them from one Mm -hmm. location to another, and then it's totally up to the Lord as everything is. And so, 
you know, the realization that God's created each one of these lives and he knew he was going to create them before the foundations of the world and that that is precious and special. And yeah, I mean, the IVF industry in and of itself, because of who's run it, because we're dealing with sinful people. We're dealing with people who, mm-hmm. um, without Christ, just like me, are very selfish and prideful. And instead of looking at, well, how can I help children out there? They just want their own, mm-hmm. which in it, when you look at that desire, it's, it seems like a good desire, but you really have to examine it and go, am I looking at this because I want God to get the glory? Am I doing this because I want the glory? I want the mm-hmm. glory of having my own biological children. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hard path. It's a mm-hmm. hard it really requires parents to think about what's best for their kids or future kids and and put Mm -hmm. themselves last. But that's what you're called to do as a parent. Yeah. From the very beginning, you're called to put off yourself and and put on Christ and Christ is selfless. And we're Mm -hmm. called to show that type of love to our children and Mm -hmm. not just our children, but without children, you're called to do that for everyone in the world and especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so this is a practice of putting off, you know, putting off our self selfishness and putting on selflessness and the mm-hmm. IVF industry has really, you know, just because we're dealing with sinners and we're dealing with people who without Christ, you're not going to see these children as the children that they are because you need to either get your own kids or from the fertility specialist, make, make the most money. I mean, that is, mm-hmm. it is a business. That's the reality yeah. of it. Right. The commodification of human beings, which, I mean, once they're alive, we call sex trafficking, you know, or human trafficking. Right. Like that's <laughs> right. It's just kind of crazy that this is it's this like pre-born human trafficking in a sense. Uh, I'm sure that that might offend someone. And again, I'm not saying I, I don't believe that if a if a child is created through IVF, that they are less valuable than any other child. Like it's no. the opposite. We are actually saying no, like if you had IVF and you even now have frozen embryos sitting in storage and you're trying to decide what to do with them, we're saying those embryos are just as valuable as my daughter downstairs. Like that's that's what I'm yep. saying. And so I think it's coming it's coming from a heart of truly valuing any life that exists. Um, but there also needs to be that conversation of so once the life exists, it absolutely has um 100% human dignity and value. But does that mean that the process that created it is a good process and and potentially something that we should just rubber stamp approve and say, yep, it's great. It's fine. There's no moral implications. It's totally, you know, uh, right for Christians to do this. And, and uh, you know, we know the world's going to do what the world's going to do. But I think that that's, that's an important conversation to believers to for believers to be having. And I think about this all the time about how, you know, we living in a sinful world, we create you know, sin creates a a problem and often our solution to it is not the right solution. And there is a solution Mm -hmm. and yet we choose the wrong solution. So in the case of an unplanned pregnancy, you know, sin created a a problem, quote unquote, not that the life is a problem, but it's a problem for the person who doesn't want to be pregnant. And then they undo that through abortion or in the case of not being able to get pregnant, it creates this problem of not being able to have your quote unquote own children and yet the solution like potentially could be to go and adopt a child who already exists who doesn't have a home there are so many children waiting to be adopted and yet we go a different route because we don't want that solution you know and so it's it, on both yeah. sides of this spectrum you're kind of you've got this pendulum swinging to this extreme like oh here we'll do this 
but that's the wrong answer. And then over here, well, we'll just do this, but maybe that's the wrong answer too. Maybe IVF is is not what the, the believer should be turning first to when they struggle to conceive naturally. They should realize, and I realize like it's easy for me to say this. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't grieve if I could not have my own biological children. I probably would um, really struggle with that. Just like you said, like realizing that, man, maybe, maybe that there's certainly a righteous grieving there of, you know, what, what the body was created to do and right. The creation mandate, like be fruitful and multiply. And yet I know we live in a sinful world where my body cannot work perfectly and, and, or as it was designed to, and it can be marred by the reality that we live in a broken world. And so I've got to come to a place of realizing that even in spite of that, God can use the difficult things of life that he didn't even design. He's not the author of sin, yet he can use that in my life as a believer for my good and for his glory. And I see that so clearly in, you know, the example of what you guys are doing and what any adoptive family does, because um, that is using a, a troubled hard circumstance, even on the side of the family that gives their child up for adoption. There's so much heartache mm-hmm. and pain and loss there. And it's it's tragic that that has to occur, that a child has to be adopted, you know, or has to be given up for adoption by a mother who maybe is too young or unable or or doesn't want to to uh, raise that child. And yet how or God in this can, case have embryos yeah. that are frozen that, yes. you know, I mean, one of the things with embryo adoption is that the idea would be that these parents would be able to go back and get their children, right? Mm-hmm. We would all love, we would all love to see that happen. Just like we would love to be able to see a woman who's in a crisis pregnancy be able to raise her own child. Yeah. The reality is, is that that isn't always possible, and there's numerous or not reasons. I mean, in the case of embryo adoption, you could have parents that are too old. You know, you could have a woman who's no longer able to carry safely. You can have a woman who no longer has a uterus. You could have, you know, there's so many things that mm-hmm. play into that that make, in a sense, embryo adoption very unique. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you have parents that are actually willing to give their children to someone else in order to have them raise them and give them an opportunity out of life mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing. And just to encourage them that, yeah, but it's still painful because the reality is that these are, they're mm-hmm. still your children. They're mm-hmm. frozen. They're very small, but they're still your children and still, still going to be just as painful mm-hmm. and difficult as someone giving up their child after they've birth them. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's just no difference. Yeah. And that brings up the conversation of, you know, again, like size and location and developmental stage has yeah nothing to do with the value of a life. And so, no. um, yeah, I think that's, that's really important just to continue to, um, you know, to hammer home. So what about the challenges? I'm sure you and your husband had, you know, countless conversations about what this would look like uh, if you did this, like before you chose to adopt the embryos. Um, talk to me about the the those those types of conversations. Like what what are the things that you know you'll encounter as you're raising these children that are yours and yet they have a different story and history than than your biological children? Like what what does that conversation look like? Yeah, well, you know when you're a believer and adoption is such an important part of our story in regards to our spirituality and our spiritual lives, then adoption should be a very normal part of our daily conversations in Mm -hmm. that we go over with our children, how God's adopted those who were not worthy, were enemies. He made them his children and he chose to do that through adoption. 
my prayer for Lydia and Timothy is that it's always a part of their lives. There is no day where all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they find out, oh, I'm adopted. It's a, you've always known you're adopted and that's not a problem. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I want them to view it as something special. Um, I remember listening to Bodhi Balcom talk about how he has quite a few adopted children and they found out that they were going to, that their mom was going to have a baby. And one of his kids asked him, are they going to know they're not adopted? Like the idea of having a child in their home that wasn't adopted was foreign. And so, you know, that's my prayer for Lydia and Timothy, that adoption is just something that they view as, yeah, it's a part of our story. And it's a wonderful part because look how God has adopted me. Now I can show love for others and should give them the love of Christ by telling them about the gospel and how God can adopt others into his family. And that Lydia and Timothy's story can be an example of that, a human manifestation of how what God has done for believers. And it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a taboo thing of, oh, I'm adopted. No, no, it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that we want to always have Mm -hmm. as part of what about their story. It's no different Mm -hmm. than, you know, my oldest. Yeah. The Lord used a little bit of medication to cause her to come into existence. And that's part of her story, how the Lord used different things to bring her in. It's the same with Lydia and Timothy. They, they have a slightly different story, but it's still their story. And yeah, I, I know with kids who are, um, what they call donor conceived can really struggle. And what I have found in my research is that a lot of it has to do with, they don't find out mm-hmm. about their past until they're adults. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would be shocking. That would be absolutely yeah. shocking to yeah. think that I was biologically related to these people all my life and find out that I'm not, you know, at the age of 30 mm-hmm. or 40. Um, but kids who are told throughout their lives that, yeah, this is, this is, but this is how God used this. This mm-hmm. is what God chose before the foundation of the world. He's sovereign over all things. He chose for whatever reason to let you wait for 30 years. And mm-hmm. while it's sad because you had to wait 30 years, it's also beautiful because mm. he chose myself and my husband to be mm-hmm. your parents. And that's an honor. And it's humbling to know that the Lord waited 30 years so that you could be a part of our family mm-hmm. and we can trust that he is good and he only does what's best for his children and that we don't have to be afraid because we know that God is in control of all things and that this was his plan and their adoption is just a beautiful part of how God chose to weave it to grow us more to be like his son. Our next sponsor is So Simple Sight Words. So Simple Sight Words gives learners a chance to own sight words using the proven techniques developed by veteran elementary school teacher, Patty So. The four volume bundle includes all four volumes of sight word cheers, flashcards, and practice sentences, plus a teacher's manual and full month of activities. Any of us who have taught kids how to read understand how frustrating it can be to uh, hit up those sight words that you know your child is going to need in order to be a fluent and successful reader, but be at a loss of how to help them master those. We've done the flashcards, we've done the repetition, and yes, sometimes that can work, but what about if that isn't working for your kid? And what if your kid is just flat out bored with sight words? This program is your solution. So simple is word ownership, it helps with fluency, and it's fun. Visit SoSimpleSightWords.com to learn more and use promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. 
Again, that is so simple, sightwords.com to learn more and use the promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. Mm, yeah, that's so powerful. I, I love, I love that you are talking, you know, you're talking about that with your, I know your older kids already. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you just have a, a strong theology of adoption, you know, and that's where it begins is in your worldview is like, what is adoption and what, how is it used? How is, where do we see adoption in scripture? What do we, how do we form our, our worldview of what adoption is? And when we have a biblical theology of adoption, we can not shy away. We cannot treat it like a taboo topic. We cannot kind of ostracize those who are adopted. And then um, in your situation where you've adopted these children as your own, you have no, you're, you're not entering into this conversation, uh, you know, as they grow with this fear or this burden of, oh no, they're, they're going to find out that they were adopted right. and I have to keep yeah. it a secret and I have to hide it from them. And how will we let them know? And then they're going to just react as this, like, you know, oh my gosh, I was lied to and all of that. Like, it makes me think about how, you know, I don't know if you've heard this, but children have their world, their worldview formed by the age of 10 because they are so impressionable and yeah. they just are sponges. They take in everything about the world around them and they form a worldview by the age of 10. Like most of their beliefs about God, the universe, the world, humans are formed by the age of 10. And so that similarly, I would imagine if these parents, in some cases I've heard, wait until the child's like 16 or something to tell them that they were adopted. Like, well, you've missed the window where your that story and that reality could have been presented in a way that would have actually formed their view about it. You could have spoken truth into it. And now, but they're finding out about it and it's going to be an uphill battle for you to convince them of a biblical worldview of adoption because that hasn't been the narrative in their life potentially. And so, and if it had been, you probably would have already told them. And so I think that that's in a similar way, like the more that we talk with our kids honestly and openly about these truths and reality, obviously in an age appropriate way, and we're going to always be building on that as they age and, and mature and are able to handle those tougher topics. But yeah, I think that that's just so that's so different than how the world approaches this topic as though it is taboo and that's probably why your story got so much, you know, um traction because it's like, oh my gosh, like why would you do that and that's so different and that's so weird and nobody does that and and yet it's like but it shouldn't be. Like it actually oh yeah, should be talking about this and this should uh, it's the sad part is that it's not more common than it than it is. Yeah. And it, and it might be more common. We just don't see, it. you know, we, yeah. it doesn't get the platform that our story has gotten, but mm-hmm. you know, one of the questions we've been asked multiple times is, so did your kids, our four kids, um, before Lydia and Timothy, did they, did they know about your process? Like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I am a very open and honest person with my kids. Mm-hmm. And so keeping secrets for me is one, I'm terrible at doing it, but two, it's it to me, it's more work. Why keep a secret when I can just mm-hmm. tell you and then it's out in the yeah. open and we don't have to be concerned about oh, are they gonna find out? And so part of it was that yeah, we we told our kids every step of the way. We told them about, you know, 
part of the NEDC, the National Embryo Donation Center's process as you go in for a medical clearance, what they call a trial transfer before you get put on the schedule for an act for the actual transfer. And so, you know, that means for us, we had to take two trips out to Tennessee. And so that first trip, they knew about it. They knew what we were doing. They knew why we were doing it. When we went for the transfer, they knew about that. You know, we called them to let them know how many embryos they had transferred. You know, there's joy with that when they found mm-hmm. out that um, Lydia and Timothy were two of five embryos that were frozen in 1992 and all five of them were thawed and two of them passed away. And then the third didn't implant. So also passed away. And so they know about that. They know that there's that Lydia and Timothy have three more siblings that really they have three more siblings because I consider all five of those embryos, my children. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we talked to them about that because life has value. And so we want to show them that, yeah, these lives, while they ended very shortly, like they still had value and we want to honor them as the children that they are. And, um, and so, you know, talking through this process, it's really a great practice for me with my older children of, yeah, we're just going to be, we're just going to talk about things as they really are and in an age appropriate way. And they have mm-hmm. to understand all of it now. You know, my two-year-old doesn't understand all of it now, but she will one day. And I don't want it to be a, you know, all of a sudden, like, oh, I've just learned for the first time. It's like, no, I've always known this, but now I get it better. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's the way the Lord really works with us. You think about it. He gives us mm-hmm. all of scripture, but we don't yeah. understand it all at one time. Mm-hmm. We read it. We learn about it. We're taught it through the through our pastors. And then one day something clicks that never clicked mm-hmm. before and we understand it better. And so I think God has really given us this beautiful um, example in his word of he's going to give us everything that he needs us to know. We're not going to mm-hmm. understand it all. In fact, we're never going to understand it all this time mm-hmm. of eternity. But our goal is still to read it, to learn about it, and then to one day, Lord willing, he'll enlighten us and cause us to understand it better. And we just keep learning more and more about it. And it's the same with my kids. I mean, as you pointed out, kids are sponges. They're so, so smart. You really mm-hmm. can't pull the wool over their eye. They're going to figure it out. And it's right. much better to realize their the way God's created them to be learners, to to take in things and just to give them the truth mm-hmm. and let them learn that way. And that way, as you pointed out, there's no lies. There's no one day going, okay, what else did they lie about? It's no, they, they've always told me the truth. So I know that this is true. And I know that mm-hmm. they're, they did this for my good. Yeah, man, that's so good. Uh, what kind of reactions have you had from people? Have you uh, had you know, would you say more positive? Have you had any negative? You know, pretty much positive. You know, our church family has been so supportive and you know, people are like, oh, you have four kids and then you're going to have two more. What are you going to do? I'm like, well, that's where having a body of Christ around you is so wonderful. It's just the way God has designed it. And so our church family has been an amazing part of the journey, whether it was, you know, going for the transfers, uh, the trial transfer and the full actual transfer. We had someone from church watch our kids for that you know, during the pregnancy and then afterwards coming and helping us and bringing us meals and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that, that's a huge part of it and that's been positive, but yeah, I've had, I've had people, I've had a lot of people have no idea what embryo adoption is. have never heard of it, have no idea what this is. And so that's mm-hmm. been a great way to be able to talk about it and, and talk about it in a positive way. And, and we have, we've had a couple of people kind of come at us with, because of the fact that it's tied to the IVF process, does that make it a good thing? Does that make it a bad thing? And it's been, it's been a good challenge because there's definitely been things that I haven't thought about in a deeper way. Like I've always come up with IVF 
done traditionally is wrong, but to really be able to look through that and see, okay, why is it wrong? Why is it, would it not be, why is this for believers to do that? And really come up with a good theology about it because it is based on what scripture says. You know, I know we talk about ethical and morally, but it's like, what does it say biblically? What does the Lord say about mm-hmm. IVF? And you're like, well, he doesn't address it. I'm like, well, yeah, he does. He does address it because he talks about life. And mm-hmm. so if he's going to talk about life and we value these children as living human beings, then yeah, he addresses it. And so we need to look at these kids that way. And so, you know, basically what have I come up with based on thinking and, and, and prayer and looking at the word I've come up with the fact that IVF done traditionally, I do believe is sinful because traditional IVF. And when I say that, what I mean is, is I'm saying that a person goes in single or married They'll do whatever it is, you know, get a donor, get donor sperm, you know, create as many embryos as they can. And then we'll just freeze them. And you can, you can use them. You can throw them away and donate to science, whatever you want to do. That's selfishness. That's mm-hmm. me looking at what do I want? And I will do whatever it takes to get what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Lord calls us to do. We're to love our neighbor. We're supposed to sacrifice what we want for what God wants. And so that's traditional IVF. And I'm like, and that's, that's a sinful process. I can't get around that. Scripture is very clear that we're to love others more than we love ourselves. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to think about what God wants more than what we want. And we're supposed to view children as human beings that they are. Mm -hmm. So then what, you know, if I had a Christian couple come to me and ask for my advice on, should I do IVF? Well, I would go, okay. I don't think, I think you can do IVF in a fashion where you have a husband and wife who are married. You have a, um, you have embryos created, but you only have what you call a fresh transfer. You're only going to transfer who are created at that point. So you're talking about, you know, one or two embryos that then are transferred. There's no freezing. They're just taking those embryos and transferring them to mom. Um, but I would also go, is that the wisest thing though? You know, you have this opportunity to use money to help children, whether it's create your own, which I don't think is wrong, but is it wise? Is it the best use of your time and money? And I think that when you have over a million, probably one to two million frozen children in the United States alone, there's a huge need there. Someone who wants to have a child, let's say you're perfectly fertile, you've never had issues, but you want to adopt. It's like, this is a beautiful avenue to do that. The need's there. If you're a couple that's struggling to have your own kids, it's like you could go to IVF, You could do that. Be very, 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 very careful. But is that the wisest use of your money? Wouldn't it be better to put that money into saving children that are already there that are just waiting for Mm -hmm. a mom and dad to come and get them out of the freezer? Mm -hmm. That might be a better use of your time and money. And not to mention, then we get to share the beautiful thing of adoption and Mm -hmm. really show what God has already shown us in his word as is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah, there's, there's pain and there's agony in it, in that infertility is difficult, but God can take any tragedy and he does. He takes tragedies all the time and makes them beautiful to glorify Mm -hmm. himself and make us more like Christ. And so in the midst of these tragedies, we look to him and we recognize that it's his sovereign will that these occurred and we can trust him and know that he will use it for our good and for his glory. The next sponsor I want to tell you about is Cornerstone Curriculum. And this sponsor is going to make your decisions around what you teach your children in regards to biblical worldview incredibly simple. 
I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World, in high school. And they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible Study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. Yep, absolutely. I had a thought while you were talking too that, you know, I think um, embedded in, uh, uh, you know, probably a lot of people is this idea and probably myself too, before becoming a mom, this idea that I am, I have a right to children. I have a right to become a biological mom and to have my own children, right? Like, I think that so much of, you know, just what we consume as children even can create that idea in the stories and Disney and, you know, getting this kind of fairy tale romance that leads to a family and, you know, all of that. But I don't, I don't think that that's, biblically based at all like the idea that I have a right to a child any more than I have a right to a healthy child you know because what about the person Mm -hmm. who has a child who is um never going to walk or maybe never going to speak or has you know a degenerative disease where the child's only going to live a number of days or weeks or months um when we start thinking that oh you know I have a right to a healthy child so that means if I conceive a child that is not healthy or does not have the characteristics that I'm looking for, then I can abort it. Then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just puts our rights above, above the child's and above. And like you said, like, that's not an idea we can find in scripture. We cannot find anything that will tell us that, you know, adults should, um, adults should be at the center of, you know, uh, of everyone's needs and have their needs met. Like, absolutely not. If anything, we see the complete opposite. And, um, you know, how the husband is to lay down his life for his wife and the wife is to um, submit to the husband and all of this out of reverence for Christ. And both of us are going to be dying to ourselves every single day as we take care of other human beings um, and and put their needs even before our own in so many ways. Uh, it, you know, I can't, of course, as a mom, like you, many people listening will understand what it is to be hungry. And yet you have to make your kids food first because, they're also hungry and yet they're, they're little and they don't understand patience. Like, I'm not going to be like, hold on, let me eat first. It's, you know, and we, we can understand that on those like little micro scales, but somehow when it comes to these bigger topics, I think we can forget that like, I'm not owed. I, I, it's not about me. I, if I'm putting myself at the center and saying, but I deserve, or I should be able to, well, that's, you know, chapter and verse, where does it say that? Um, the reality of living in a sinful world is that we are not going to get many of the things that are actually built into God's design. You know, even health, like the human body was created amazingly. Yeah. It can function very well for a, a long time, um, but we can all have our bodies affected by sin. We are all affected by our sin nature. And so things break, things deteriorate, we get diseases, we get cancer, and things don't work how God designed. And that's just, again, points us to the hope we have in Christ and the reality that he died so we could have eternal life with him that was untainted by sin. And so I think that, you know, um, as um, one of my favorites, uh, Katie Faust says, she says, you know, adults need to do hard things for children. 
And adults need to be the ones to do hard things by, you know, stepping into the gap where there are children who are, um, that have been created and do not have moms and do not have dads that are, um, helping them, you know, live, uh, adults should do the hard things for kids rather than asking kids to do the hard thing for them. Well, there's two things that, that as you're talking that you said, and, and I think one of the key things is you talk about rights, but the other part of that really is, is the word deserve, which is what you said. Mm-hmm. Tied in with that word rights is that idea that I deserve, I deserve this. And the reality is, is that every single human being that has ever cre- has ever existed deserves help mm-hmm. because of who we are as, as sinners. And so knowing that then anything good I get in this world is mm-hmm. so much better than what I truly deserve, which is eternity and okay. hell. And even for the, for the non-believer, that's still the case. Every gracious thing God gives you every day, the fact that you got to get up this morning and breathe means that God is good and gracious and that he gave you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the reality of it. And so as believers, how much more so should we be in the times where we're not getting in, in our minds that we should get, we're going, wait, but I'm not getting what I really should get, which is hell. Mm-hmm. Like every tragedy, every trial we go through, as awful as they are, it's still that tiny, tiny piece of um, pain here, but we're going to get a huge weight of glory later. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that idea of, of really warranting or orientating ourselves around what do we actually deserve? And the reality is we deserve hell. So anything above that is, is blessing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, you know, you have these frozen children out there that, as you pointed out, they need a home, they need a father and a mother. And so that's, that's so important to remember. And that mm-hmm. parenting is hard. Like that, when you talk about adults, you choose to do the hard thing. You know, I've, I had somebody ask me, you know, they had a young baby. They're like, does it ever get easier? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always hard. You know, mm-hmm. it's just different. The yeah. hard changes, you know, you have these little babies. So thankfully my twins are sleeping right now, but you know, when they're awake, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of physically intense work, but then mm-hmm. they get older and I have my eight-year-old who I don't have to change her diapers anymore. You know, she sleeps mm-hmm. through the night and all these things, but it's still hard. Why? Well, because I have to answer her hard questions now. Mm-hmm. We have to have deep conversations about this, things of God and how do we, how do we act in ways that are pleasing to him? And it's a lot more thinking, but it's still hard. And I know mm-hmm. I anticipate, okay, teenage years, it's going to be mm-hmm. hard in a different way because I'm dealing with emotions and I'm dealing with consequences of sin. And I'm going to be dealing with, you know, helping these adults now come to realize what does the Lord want you to do with your life and all these things. So if you want to be a parent, be prepared because it's hard. It's all yeah. hard. It never gets easier. And I know my my friends who have adult children, they're like, it's still hard. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yes. There's so many blessings. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. but the reality is is that if you're if you're going into this journey of being a parent, it's gonna be hard. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I then- think you're right. Yeah, Abby, um, Abby from M is for Mama. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she I've had her on the show and she has a, a slogan and a shirt that says hard is not the same as bad or hard doesn't oh, yeah. equal bad, you know, and yeah. I just love that because yeah. I think that so much of, you know, secular parenting is basically just avoid hard, make it easy, right. don't suffer, you know, 
have have as easy of an experience as you possibly can, which leads you to handing your child a screen whenever they act out instead of dealing with the discipline issue. You know, yes, because that would be the easiest option, but hard doesn't equal bad because actually every time they sin and every time they lash out against you, even though it is not pleasant, even though I don't enjoy discipline, um, as you know, Hebrews tells us like, no, no discipline at the moment is pleasant, but in the end produces a harvest of righteousness. Like each of those chances is an opportunity for us to share the truth with our child. Every time they sin, we get an opportunity to remind them of the truth that we find in scripture, that they actually are a sinner, that they need Jesus's help, that they need a new heart. If they aren't saved yet, that if they are, they need to obey God and his word and what we find in, in scripture. And, and so each of those times, you know, it's like, it's very hard, but it's a, it's a blessing and it's a good, it's a good thing that it, sin is not good, but God uses that trial and that difficulty in our lives to produce righteousness in our kids when we obey him with those opportunities. And so, um, you know, again, it's just, totally countercultural to the narrative that we see from the world. And we shouldn't be surprised by that as Christians. We should expect that we are going to be living a totally upside down uh, life from what we see around us and, and doing the opposite and saying, no, what you say is a right is actually not a right. It's an opportunity for me to die to myself and to maybe even my own desires, which are are not, are not bad desires, not a bad desire to have a biological child. It's a good thing. But if I refuse to submit that desire when the answer is no, and I refuse to submit that to the path that God has laid out before me in my particular journey and where, what he has for me, it could become something that becomes a sinful desire, right? When we pursue that at right. all costs to any yeah. end, just to get what we want. Yeah. It's idols, you know, it, it idol worship. We, we think of as the little, you know, the little models, mm -hmm. but the physical things, but no, anything can become an idol. And so that's mm -hmm. the reality of when we have a desire, that's a good desire, right? Mm -hmm. I want to have a child. I want to have my own child. Okay. But as soon as that becomes all consuming, as soon as you're willing to sin to get that, now we have a problem because mm -hmm. you've created an idol there mm -hmm. by I'm no longer going to submit to God's will. And what does he have for me? And really open myself to, okay, what do you want, Lord? I understand mm -hmm. I want this, but maybe this isn't your plan. Mm -hmm. And just be willing to hear what, whatever God wants to do, you know, be, yeah. be willing to do whatever God wants you to do, whether mm -hmm. it's maybe you won't get to have children, but maybe you'll get to instead put yourself into other kids' lives, you know, help parents out, parents in your church who have children to be able to really pour yourself into their kids and help them. Maybe it's, you know, you get to have kids, but guess what? You're going to do this a little bit different. We're going to do this embryo adoption. We're going to do this in traditional adoption. We're going to do this, you know, whatever. Or maybe he does give you biological children, but any of the routes he chooses to take you, we go, okay, Lord, it's your plan. It's your will. I want to submit to what you want because I know what you want is what's best for me. Mm -hmm. And that's the attitude we're called to have as believers. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, you know, but once again, yeah. hard is not a bad thing. You know, I think about Christ with, because the joy set before him endured the cross. Mm -hmm. We have an example of someone who did the hardest thing and he did it because he knew that it was his father's will. He did it joyfully and he did it because out of a love for his father and a love for his people. And so you know, as parents, we get the joy of modeling that we get to do the hard things every day because Christ endured the hardest thing. So how much more should I be willing to endure things, hard things to do them because God has called me to, and it's the best, most beautiful 
example I get to have of being Christ to my children. And, you know, it's a, it's the highest calling. I mm-hmm. know motherhood is very much looked at as a, well, you have to do that. Or, you know, all of these things, it's really negatively looked. You, you work from home or, you know, you don't have a job, you're, you're mm-hmm. a stay at home mom. It's like, no, this really is the highest calling I could possibly be given because God has given me six beautiful children to model Christ to. And I have an audience every day of the gospel to be able to give them the gospel, to be able to live out the gospel. And I do it imperfectly all the time, but I'm still given that, that, that job to do. And I have to thank the Lord for that high calling that I'm given and really be humbled by it because I'm not able to do it unless I have God's help every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And, you know, rounding out our conversation, I know we've talked about this, um, a lot and, you know, there's probably still people who may disagree and say, you know, I don't think that IVF is sinful. I don't think that it's problematic. I don't even think it's wrong if the mom uses all the eggs, um, or does that fresh transfer option, like you were saying, I think, um, you know, I, I think that there is, um, it is possible for Christians to disagree on that matter. However, what I would say is that, this is a very, um, it's a, it's just, it's dangerous ground. It's a very slippery slope from going, you know, going from like, okay, maybe there is a way to do IVF that isn't sinful. If you use all those eggs right away, like you said, but you also recognize that potentially, um, it is possible to do even something that is not inherently sinful with a sinful heart attitude. Like that's, that's true for all kinds of things. Like we can, you know, we can do a lot of things that are good on the surface from a sinful heart. And, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone who's had IVF and say you sinned. I don't know if you sinned or not. I'm not God, but that there is a risk there when we are doing things for our glory, like you said, and when we are, you know, creating life that we do not intend to allow to live like there, that's where you've crossed the line. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's a very hard conversation because there's a lot of people who have done this. A lot of people, obviously by the number of, you know, frozen embryos that are in the U S right now, there's a lot of people who are obviously in this, like kind of this limbo place of like, we've created these lives and maybe we don't want them. Um, that that impacts and this conversation impacts. And there's probably a lot of people who didn't even think this deeply about it before they did it, you know? Absolutely. And and weren't aware of what it was really doing. And the other part of that is, I I think it's not so much, you know, in regards to as a believer, you go into this and you're like, okay, is it sin is the least Like that's, that's the, that's the lowest goal we should be aiming for. Right. I mean, that's, that's the line that you're like, okay, should I not cross this? You're like, that's our, that's our lowest goal. Right. Believers, Our highest aim is how can I give God the most glory? Right. What Mm -hmm. can I do to glorify him? And so if that is truly our viewpoint and it's like, you know, the reality is you go with, okay, what about everybody else? What about the non-believer with IVF? Then they need the gospel. Right. And the reality is we can make all the laws we want to with IVF. We can do all of these things, but if we don't have the gospel front and center, if we don't have ourselves preaching to these fertility specialists who are, who are God is using to create these lives. If we're not preaching the gospel to the parents that are Mm -hmm. self-focused and selfish and looking just to have their own kids, it's not going to make a difference because no. what happens is, is that these people need the gospel, right? They need you're their not, hearts changed. You're not going to hell for eternity because you had IVF. You're going to hell for eternity right. because you are, you've sinned against a holy and righteous God 
and you have you have no means of peace with God except for Christ. So yeah, yes, that's that's a that's a good point to make that that this isn't the pinnacle issue of all issues um, here in the life of a non-believer, but this is obviously, you know, this is a podcast for Christian women. So we can talk about things kind of these in-house discussions in a way differently than, than we would with the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and for believers out there, it's like, if you, you know, my desire in putting out our story is that if you have children who are frozen, and I think there's probably a lot of believers out there that do, mm-hmm. please do whatever it takes to get them out. If that means you have to go and have more kids than you thought you were going to have, that's okay. The Lord will give you the strength you need. Mm-hmm. You know, as a mother of six, people look at me all the time and go, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't, God does. You know, there are days where I fall flat mm-hmm. on my face and the Lord picks me up and we do it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have more children than you ever intended to have. You can't get your kids. Let's say you you are physically unable to. Great. Let's give them to someone else who can. Maybe that's someone in your church. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a couple in your church that can't have their own kids and you could give them that gift mm-hmm. by saying, hey, I have embryos I can't use. I have children that need adopting. Would you adopt them? Mm-hmm. You know, you can don't, you can give them, it's called a donation, but you can give them to the National Embryo Donation Center. I would highly recommend that they're a embryo centered um, organization that loves children, cares about children, cares about these embryos as children and go through great, great lengths to give these embryos a chance Mm -hmm. at a home. Does that mean Mm -hmm. they may go to an unbelievers home? Yeah. That's the reality of, you know, if you're not going to care for them themselves, you have to be willing to, okay, Lord, whatever your will is for these children, I'm still going to give them that chance of life. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things out there you can do. And I just want to encourage those believers out there that have frozen children that did the IVF process. Once again, I can't tell you if it's sin or not, unless I, I, unless I knew your heart and I don't. So really just going back through and looking at, okay, is what I did sinful or not? And it's always good for us to do that because we repent all the time and we have a God who is gracious and forgiving. Mm -hmm. And so why wouldn't we run to him when we recognize that we've sinned? So go to him, you know, check your heart, look and see, examine yourself, see if, you know, is what I did right or wrong. And then if it was wrong, repent. And if it was right, then great. You already know that and your conscience mm-hmm. is clear. And then as, you know, as a believer, then you you solve the problem that you have, which is frozen children, get them out of the freezer, whatever it takes. And it does mean that, yeah, you may have to do something harder than you had anticipated. Maybe it's raising them yourselves. Maybe it's giving them to someone else to raise. But God enabled us to do things that we could never imagine we could do because he is a great God who is so faithful and so kind and gives us strength and abilities beyond belief because he is that good and he is that wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so good. I'm so glad that you're sharing your story and I know that um, it's going to touch a lot of people and also probably get them thinking. So I appreciate your vulnerability and just willingness to have that conversation. Cause I know it's a hard one, especially uh, you know, even in Christian communities, it can be a touchy subject. So thank you for kind yeah. of leaning into that and um, using this as an opportunity to uh, share the truth and, you know, just encourage people to really, uh, you know, do, do what will bring God the most glory. Like you said, that it's not just like, how do I not sin? It's what is, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And how can I do that in all situations, even the ones that Absolutely. are very hard, very difficult. So thank you. Uh, is there anywhere that people can, um, you know, follow along your journey? Do you blog? Do you do anything like that? Unfortunately, not this time. I've thought about it, yeah. um, but mother no of time six for that. and I homeschool them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now my life is, is 
serving in our, our mm. body of Christ and, you know, supporting my husband in that yeah. and then uh, caring and raising our six kids. So at That's this fine. point, no, but Love we'll it. see where the Lord, the Lord yeah. takes me, you know, I didn't ever expect to be on podcasts or uh, doing interviews in my life either. So yeah, <laughs> you, yeah never you never know. know. You never know where he might bring you. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you. You have a good day. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really pray that conversation was challenging and encouraging for you. I hope that it made you think. And I hope most of all that it brings glory to God as we are seeking to value image bearers that he is creating um, through the miraculous process that he's designed for life to occur um, on his earth. I think that's important to remember. All of this is his. We are his. This creation is his. Our bodies are his. And what our bodies create is his too, because they bear his image. Um, so anyways, I loved this conversation. If you want to connect with me in between episodes, come find me on Instagram at Haley.kindled and kindled.haley. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get all of my new episodes automatically uh, wherever you are listening right now to this one. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, would love for you to uh, leave me a rating and review. That always helps the show get found. You know, the algorithm does what it does, but you can help it. So that's all I have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I will see you next time on Kindled.